Greetings, welcome to The Point Being, Ipsos' public polling podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jackson, joined by Mallory Newell. Hi there. This is episode 76, it is August 8, 2019, and we're going to jump right into where public opinion is on some of the major events that have happened over the last week, particularly the horrible shootings in Texas and Ohio over the weekend. We did a quick response poll of Americans with USA Today on Monday and Tuesday, looking at who Americans viewed as responsible for these mass shootings, what Americans want done about it, and sort of what the underlying, I don't know, deadlock is that has not allowed our country to sort of move forward on the issue. One thing to note going into this, though, is only 5% of Americans say crime, which is generally what these mass shootings fall into, is a main issue. So it's that's potentially an indicator of why nothing's really moved on it. People tend to be horrified in the moment and then look past it. But Mallory, what does our USA Today Ipsos poll tell us? Chris, this poll that we did with USA Today, I think, is really interesting because um, of because we took a look at sort of what the root causes of these mass shootings are, mm-hmm. right? Sort of, we know that public opinion has a tendency to spike in terms of wanting um, more gun violence prevention measures, of being horrified, like you said. But, you know, there's been a lot of rhetoric on both sides after these shootings of what the root cause mm-hmm. of why these happen so frequently in this country and are. What are Americans telling us they see as these causes? So most Americans feel that the mental health system um, deserves some responsibility for mass shootings generally, Mm -hmm. um, as well as racism and white nationalism, something that we heard come out a lot over the weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as loose gun laws. Um, But Chris, what I think is really interesting that even though you have majorities of Americans saying those three items are responsible for mass shooting culture writ large, you know, there's there's underlying partisanship even here. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is, um, depending on what side of the aisle you fall on, you don't really agree with what causes mass shootings in this country. And I think that just underscores a lot of the differing rhetoric that we heard over the weekend and in the days following. Right. So when we get on to talking about some of the potential culprits behind this, uh, these mass shootings, the the sort of unanimity of the public really starts to break down and break down along party lines, sort of indicating that these shootings don't really break through the partisan gridlock a lot of Americans find themselves in. Um, so what other what other things did we ask people about that ended up breaking on those partisan lines? Well, so I think first it's important to look at who blames what, right? So while there is overall agreement when it comes to mental health. Uh, Republicans are much more likely than Democrats, for example, to blame violent video games, Mm -hmm. whereas Democrats are much more likely than Republicans to point the finger at racism and white nationalism, Mm -hmm. uh, loose gun laws, and actually the president himself. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, honestly, beyond that, there is agreement when it comes to um, how people feel about gun laws in this country, generally. Right. So what I mean by that is, you know, as an overall concept, a majority of Americans want more strict gun laws in this country. Mm -hmm. This is a question that we've asked over time, and we see now, as we've seen in the past, after another mass shooting, that 
generally about three quarters of Americans feel that gun laws in this country should be more strict. Right. Um, and that includes a majority of Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Right, so a majority of Republicans even believe gun laws should be more strict than they currently are. Right, exactly. Um, so that that is sort of like the overall view in theory, right? Mm -hmm. But we also asked a couple questions in this poll with USA Today about in practice, right. you know, how do we go about doing that, right? And what we found is that um, half of Americans say that they think the Senate should cancel their August recess to come back and actually have it out over these bills. Mm -hmm. And what's more, a larger number, two-thirds, actually believe that the Senate should pass the background check legislation that the House has already done the work on and passed. Right, so like just for, for some background information, uh, the Democrats, when they took control of the U.S. House early this year, passed a couple of bills strengthening background checks, making them close to universal, um, but those bills have not been taken up in the Senate. We asked if Mitch McConnell should cancel the Senate recess, come back and vote on these bills, and we found that a small majority said yes, cancel recess, and a large majority said yes, pass these bills. That's right. Um, but we still have those partisan breakdowns when we start looking at things, which I think indicates some of the lack of ability to actually get anything done in the space. Yeah, I think fundamentally what this poll shows us is that Americans want action, right? Mm -hmm. They want something to happen. They want stronger, stronger gun laws. We've seen that repeatedly in our polling over time. That's not something that you can argue with. But where the fault lines kind of emerge and where we can't agree and why this, you know, doesn't really seem to move forward um, is, you know, other than certain people thinking one party in this country is beholden to the NRA, for example, um, just the sense that we can't even agree on why these mass shootings keep taking place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the abstract policy starts to lose ground to when it comes down to the tribal, which team wins, which team loses fight right. that, that Washington oftentimes uh, dissolves into. Right, and like you said, honestly, you know, you look at our core political and you see that crime is so low, right? It's sort of, we see this spike, we see this fury mm -hmm. right after the fact, and then it kind of goes away, unfortunately, until the next shooting. That's right. So uh, speaking of this sort of sad state of affairs, turning to the Reuters Ipsos core political, where do Americans see the direction of the country? And I should note that this is data that was mostly collected before the shooting. Right. So this is how people felt basically last week, and maybe they feel a little different this week. We'll find out about that next week. Yeah, I think that's important to note. When we look at these numbers, we just want to offer that caveat that I think next week may be a little bit more telling in terms of whether these mass shootings had an impact on any sort of our high-level measures mm -hmm. about the country. But as of right now, you know, nothing has changed. Um, you know, nearly 60% of registered voters feel like things are off on the wrong track. The president's approval rating hasn't really changed. He continues to be in the mid 40% range among registered voters. You're just generally seeing most of our key metrics holding pretty steady over time. Yeah, I think this gun shooting, these gun shootings and these, uh, this sort of lack of mo movement on the topic are sort of emblematic of why people think the country's not really working. Um, and I think it's just sort of a real you know, exclamation point on this long-running trend that we've seen where people just don't have a lot of optimism about the direction of the country. Um, what about the issues? We talked about crime being not necessarily a top-tier issue. What are Americans focused on as their number one issues? 
So immigration uh, holds a, a very small lead above healthcare for the main issue of the country. This was something that we noticed last week in our data. Um, there was a little bit of greater concern mm -hmm. on immigration last week. Things have maybe quieted or a little bit more even between immigration and healthcare this week. Mm -hmm. um, but roughly one in five say that immigration or healthcare is the main issue facing the country. One in five each. Each. Yeah. And of course that still has the very strict uh, partisan split with Republicans looking at immigration while Democrats are looking at healthcare, correct? Right. And um, last week we noted that independents were showing a little bit more concern over immigration. Um, that doesn't seem to be an actual trend that's developed in the data. Um, they tend to, in, in most weeks, what we've seen in the past couple months is that independents tend to hold health care as a greater concern, and that's the case this week. Okay. So uh, health care was one of the major topics of the Democratic debates that took place last week. Uh, people remember that. It seemed like so long ago. Uh, we did a somewhat new piece of research with ABC News after the debates where we actually showed Democrats and independents a couple of clips from the debates of the candidates talking about health care, particularly a, a clip of Bernie Sanders talking about Medicare for all, a clip of Joe Biden talking about Obamacare, and then asked Americans to sort of respond to those and tell us what they sort of thought of those. What did that piece of research show us? Yeah, this is really interesting, Chris. So I would say in a nutshell, you know, following the second Democratic debates, Democratic voters haven't really landed on their preferred approach for health care. Um, but instead, they find sort of the two schools of thought, you know, moving to a Medicare for all system mm -hmm. or just sort of keeping and fixing Obamacare. They, they find them both generally compelling. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think it it sort of speaks to the debate format and what we saw last week, something that we addressed on last week's podcast, which is that, um, you know, in, in such a short amount of time with candidates trying to explain their policies, um, it's not necessarily breaking through mm -hmm. in one distinct way or the other. I think it also, though, potentially illustrates the extent to which most Americans aren't really hung up on a lot of policy, specific policy nuance. And for Democrats particularly, healthcare is really more about the idea that the healthcare system doesn't work. It's right. expensive, it's not fair, access is poor, and the specific policies are not really what they're focused on, which is why I think we see three quarters of Americans essentially saying that they find either Obamacare compelling or Medicare for all compelling, which are sort of mutually exclusive concepts, yeah. because they're not getting into the nuance of that, right? They just want to see the system fixed, changed, made more fair, and a lot of the argument that the candidates are going to have to make is more about how they talk about those values and not necessarily the strict policies. Right. So what we did in this poll with ABC News, like you said, is we showed two video clips, one of Bernie Sanders talking about moving to Medicare for all. Three quarters of Democrats or people that lean Democratic found that to be um, a convincing plan. Um, and then we also showed a video of Joe Biden, whose message is basically like, Obamacare is working. We need to build on it. And 70%, so a little bit less, but not that much, um, found that convincing. Like you said, these are sort of two opposing policies in terms of how we fix the healthcare system. But Democrats are sort of displaying an openness to either, yep. to both, rather. 
Um, now, the, the last thing I'll note, though, is if you look at the percentage of people saying very convincing, uh, the number of people saying the Medicare for All video uh, was very convincing is higher, about 12 or 13 percentage points than those um, saying, you know, Joe Biden's case was very convincing. No, but we can't necessarily say that it was the case, the policy that was convincing, or, or the delivery, the right? Because Bernie Sanders is, you know, he does, he, he believes in what he is saying, he delivers it with a lot of force. Joe Biden tends to be a little bit more circular in how he just talks about things, and it's not quite as forcefully laid out. So it could be the policy, it could be the person. Um, speaking of the debates, though, we also have our most recent 2020 Democratic uh, primary poll, national poll with Reuters. Uh, where is that poll showing the electorate shaping up? So, Chris, uh, we've been tracking this for about four months now or so. That sounds right. Um, and, and what we see is that most of the quote-unquote frontrunners, uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, um, they're they're holding pretty steady in terms of their standing, in terms of name ID and favorability. Right. Um, the, the one change that we've seen over time there is really with Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. So after the first debate, um, which was reflected in our July polling, uh, Kamala Harris saw a spike in her favorability, her positive standing, right. and she saw a little bit of a spike um, in her vote share in oh, the horse ballot. race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that hasn't proven to, to be the case this month. It sort of has faded um, in this most recent poll. Yep, yep. Now, if you look at the, the ballot where people are, um, Joe Biden continues to lead the pack. Mm -hmm. um, his numbers haven't changed from July. Uh, Bernie Sanders is in second place, showing signs that he might be trending slightly upward. Mm -hmm. um, and then Elizabeth Warren is holding steady in third place. Right. Kamala Harris, again, has sort of softened a little bit. But again, you take this all with a grain of salt because we're talking about horse race polling and we're still, you know, a year plus out from the general election. Right. It's a national poll. It's, you know, six months away from the first primary or caucus, which are going to be state-level uh, polls or state-level contests. So, so yeah, these are, these are more sort of indicators than telling us exactly what's going to happen. But it is interesting that there's now a very clear sort of one, two, three with Biden, Sanders, and Warren. Mm -hmm. um, and Harris has sort of joined the rest of the pack uh, behind them a little bit. Yeah. Now, I think the one thing, Chris, that's worth noting is, you know, you talk about the field shaping up as this clear one, two, three. In the back of everyone's mind is still that looming question of, you know, who can beat President Trump in a general election. That's right. I'm using air quotes here, that electability factor. That's right. And we find that uh, among Democrats, that's their priority. 50% of Democrats say that that's sort of their number one thing they're looking for in a candidate is who can beat Trump. Problem is nobody really knows what that means. Right. So a couple months ago, you asked Democrats, and Joe Biden had a very clear advantage on this. Um, more than, I think, three to one, right? Yeah, three to one over Sanders, the next closest. Um, and now it's, you know, his advantage, though he is still well-liked, he's still very well-known, he's still leading in our horse race polls. Joe Biden is not seen as the end-all, be-all, quote, electable candidate that can beat President Trump. That's right. So there's two sort of ways to look at it, right? One is that Democrats are showing more openness to other candidates in the field, mm -hmm. or two, you know, people just aren't really convinced right now um, how 
or what it takes to, to beat the president. That's right. And, and Joe Biden's sort of ability to position himself as the guy best suited to do that is weakened a little bit. Now, that hasn't necessarily turned into him losing his frontrunner status, but it certain, certainly should be a little bit of a warning sign for them that they need to continue making the argument that uh, that Biden can stand up to the presidents, uh, can compete with the presidents strongly. And I think that's what the other candidates need to be focused on, is talking about how they're going to be able to stand up against Trump. That's what the Democratic electorate's looking for, and they need to be talking about that. Right. And perhaps they will get more time to talk about it in the next presidential debate in September. Um, the qualification rules have tightened a little bit. There's a higher fundraising threshold. Mm -hmm. So it's possible we won't be hearing from 20 people across right. two nights. Um, maybe that means that people will get a little bit more time to articulate their their views and and make the case of why they're the ones to take on Trump. Though eight, eight Democrats have already qualified for this third round of debate, so it's already going to be a, something of a crowded field or a crowded stage, uh, even uh, giving another month for candidates to qualify into that. Um, the last thing I think that's sort of worth noting is we also ask Democrats about their second choice, who they would vote for if their first choice dropped out. And we see that Biden, Sanders, and Warren are all basically tied on that second choice number. Uh, it really does look like the Democratic electorate is pretty happy with a number of options, and it's not necessarily an environment where if somebody drops out, you're going to have a chunk of the electorate that just, you know, takes their ball and goes home. Right. So that's something to be watching for as it develops. Um, so that is all of our research this week. We've had a lot. Uh, you can always find this on our website at Ipsos.com. That's our USA Today survey about guns, our Reuters core political in 2020 poll, and our ABC News uh, post-debate poll. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at JCB Jackson. And I'm at Mallory Kate. That's Kate with a C. And you can always email us at the point being at Ipsos.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening.